can just uh, open up with the word of prayer. Lord, thank you for tonight, God. Thank you for this word, Lord, that you have prepared for us. Father God, let us let us be good soil, Father, to receive the word that you that you're sending forth, God, that we would be we would receive it, God. We would receive what you have for us tonight. We welcome you into this place, Holy Spirit. Thank you for leading us and guiding us and directing us. Thank you for convicting us of all sin, God. Thank you for correction and instruction and righteousness, Father. Thank you for the power of the word and the Holy Spirit in our life, God, to overcome this world in Jesus' mighty name. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. So <clears throat> I am continuing in the book of Romans, and I'm going to read, I'm going to finish up chapter 10. So I'm going to read verses 14 through 21 for you. It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Amen. Amen. How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So I want to give you a little bit of history here of um, what was going on in Romans. And um, under the Roman uh, Empire, there were severe oppression and severe persecution from the government. Shocking. I know. <laughs> uh, at this time, during the Roman Empire, they had multiple temples of worship and they had multiple gods. And the Roman Empire did not care which god you worshipped. They didn't have a set God that you could, that you had to worship. So they didn't really care that Christians worshiped a different God. Here's where they cared. They cared that Christians were appointed to call Jesus Lord. Amen. And, and if we, if you back up <clears throat> in verse nine, it says, if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus. Now that translation is not the Lord Jesus, but it's, if you confess that Jesus is Lord is the actual translation of that. And you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And so Paul here telling them, these people understood under the Roman Empire, the only person you could call Lord was Caesar. Okay, a lot of you guys don't understand history. And so when you read things like this, you have to put things in context and understand what was going on during that time. And so Christians were not allowed to say Caesar is Lord because Caesar wasn't Lord. Jesus was Lord. And so by saying Jesus is Lord, they could lose their job. They could lose their family. They could even lose their lives. And so once a year, every person in the Roman Empire was required to go up to a temple to say Caesar is Lord. 
Probably a lot of y'all didn't know that. That was a, a, a yearly requirement. But Christians then had a choice of saying, well, Jesus, either Jesus is Lord or Caesar is Lord. And the earliest confession of faith was Jesus is Lord. So Paul goes on, he says, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So the, the, the apostle Paul here, he's speaking to, uh, he's observing, right, whether Jew or Gentile, that anyone that believes in the Lord and confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, that they would be saved because the same Lord was ready and willing to dispense his grace without any difference to the Jew or the Gentile. And that whoever heard would believe and call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And so Paul tells us that there is no true calling upon God without faith. And there's no faith without hearing. And there's no hearing without preaching. And no preaching without a divine mission. And there's no hearing of Christ and salvation by him without the preaching of the word of God. And the most normal way in the Bible of hearing from God was the ministry of God's word. So Paul shows not only the necessity and the usefulness of preaching, but points to the subject matter of preaching, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In Acts 4, it says, Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Isn't that funny? We just sang that. Nor is there salvation any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 1 Corinthians 1.23, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. So Paul says, the message that you preach, it matters. The Jesus that you preach, it matters. And they that preach ought to preach to the glory of God. Otherwise, men might hear the preacher and not hear Christ. So Paul goes on and he quotes the, the prophet Isaiah, where Isaiah said, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. ground. He has no form of comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Paul, Paul says then, he said, even though you don't know it, the Jews heard the same message. Faith comes by the report where it says, who has believed our report? That report or message is necessary. 
When it is said that faith comes by hearing, it's not meant that all who hear actually believe, for we know that's not true. But faith, the, that faith does not exist unless there is a message or report to be heard. What do I mean? It shows us the importance of the message, the fact that people are converted by the instrument of truth and truth only. Yes. People are converted by the instrument of truth. The message, the report matters. Right. Paul says they've not all obeyed the gospel though. The fact remains in spite of universal preaching that there's not been a universal surrender to the gospel. Right. Isaiah 65, 1 I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. So Isaiah long ago prophesied that the Gentiles were going to be called. But there was an, there's an important part here. The Jews were going to be rejected. So he proceeds to say that while the Gentiles would be obedient, that the character and nature of the Jews was that they were a consistently disobedient and rebellious people. He says this, Isaiah 65, 2 through 5, I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts, a people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend the night in tombs, who eat swine's flesh and the broth of abominable things in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me for I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. And it says, Paul is telling the Romans here that all day long God stretched forth his hands to these people without any kind of intermission. So it implies that their acts of rebellion were not momentary, but this was an established character of the Jewish people. God gave was had a willingness and a desire to receive them to give them favor to invite them but the Jews were disobedient they were rebellious they were disbelieving not confiding they did not obey they were gainsaying meaning they spoke against God resisting and opposing him so Isaiah proceeds to say that this rebellion was consistent to show that that was their character that was the character and nature of Israel. It was that of wickedness. And God represents him stretching out his hands in vain. They rejected him, and so he sought and found others. Therefore, the rebellious Jews would be rejected, and the Gentiles and Jews were on the same level in regard to justification before God. The Jews, like the Gentiles, heard the message. So in the closing part of this chapter, Paul here is saying the salvation is open for all the world. Because of the rejection of Israel, the opening of the Gentiles, he says now it's open to all the world. And you have to understand this, at this time this was a novel idea. Because Jesus himself said salvation is of the Jews. 
So this was a very novel idea. So Paul took great pains to illustrate it and defend it. And so with much zeal and self-denial, the apostles of the Lord went and proclaimed it to the nations. From this discussion, we may learn the following truths. That's my introduction. (laughs) The first thing is, the pagan world is in danger of hell without the preaching of the full gospel. And I say the full gospel because I don't think that people realize the situation that we are in currently. When 70% of people say they're Christians and 9% actually believe the Bible is the word of God, we have problems in the church. There's huge problems. The gospel's not being preached. Not the true gospel. A different Jesus is being preached. False doctrine is being preached. And the world is in danger of hell without the preaching of the truth of God's word. Why? Because they are sinful, they are polluted, and they are wretched. And I don't don't care what your mommy told you. We are not good. We are not worthy. We are not deserving of grace. I'm going to stop on some toes. The cross does not reveal the innate value of those redeemed, but it reveals the character and grace of God. The cross is a display of the hopeless, undeserving, sinful, guilty, rebellious, debased condition of those for whom Jesus died. The magnitude of Christ's suffering is a measure not of the magnitude of our worth, but of the magnitude of the repulsiveness of our sin, the horror of our rebellion, and the infinite value of the glory and faithfulness of the God who keeps covenant. We had nothing good to offer God, and we were undeserving of what God gave us. This is the very meaning of grace. We were enemies of God. And he died for us. And if you believed you were worthy of death, why would you be grateful? Why would you be thankful? But if you knew you were not worthy of death and somebody died for you and saved you and redeemed you, you would live your life as a grateful, thankful person all the days of your life. God was merciful for his name's sake. You need to know that because that's not what's being taught out there. In Ezekiel chapter 36, I'm going to read you verses 22 and 32, but I want you to know that in this same chapter was where the Lord tells the people is, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will write my laws on your heart, and I will transform you. This is that same chapter. And he says to the house of Israel, says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake. But for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. Verse 32, not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. 
And Ezekiel here, he is telling them, he said, there's coming a day where I'm going to come and dwell in man and I'm going to change their heart. And I'm going to give them the Holy Spirit and I'm doing it for my name. Amen. The Lord says in Isaiah 43, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. The Lord did it for his name, for his sake, for his glory. The measure of his love was when we were enemies. Not because we deserved it. And this message is lost today in the church. It's completely lost. The second thing is, is that the provisions of the gospel are ample for all. The gospel is enough. The cross is enough. The blood of Christ still cleanses. It is still the power to save, redeem, heal, and deliver. And we do not add to it. It is the power to save every wretched individual if men would preach the truth of God's word. If we would stop adding to it, stop sugarcoating it, stop watering it down, stop subtracting from it. And Paul tells us that the faith that overcomes sin, the devil and the world only comes by hearing the truth. The faith that we long for to overcome in this world, it only comes by hearing the truth of God's word. The message, the report matters. First John, it tells us, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith can overcome sin. Our faith can overcome the world. Our faith can overcome our flesh. Our faith can overcome everything if you have the right message. People are only converted by the truth. Pastor Matt and I talk about this all the time, that in a church there's, there's a lot of people that are not converted. They have not been converted because they've not heard the true gospel. They've merely assented to a system of belief, an easy believism. I believe in Jesus, but they remain powerless to overcome sin because the only way you're going to overcome sin is that you have faith in the God of the Bible, faith in the Jesus of the Bible, faith in the cross, faith in the blood of the lamb to cleanse us from all our sin and pick us up, wash us whiter than snow. That's the only faith that overcomes if it's in anything else you'll not be able to overcome and when I look at people that can't overcome things I'm like what did you believe what were you taught who preached that to you who told you that remember uh, about a month ago pastor preached it's not Jesus plus It's Jesus. It's Jesus alone that he is sufficient for everything in this life. 
Second Peter tells us, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promise that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Memorize that one. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That means everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. I mean, you know, people say, what? do you mean everything? Yeah. Everything. The power of the blood of Jesus is enough to overcome every sin. Every sin can be overcome by the blood of Jesus. Every addiction, every anxiety, depression, it's the power to heal every single area of your life. You don't need a system. You don't need a curriculum. You don't need a 12-step program. Just the blood of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. And either let his power reign in you to overcome or tell him his power is insufficient to overcome. I'm just a very black and white person. And so God puts it to me that way all the time. He said, Crystal, either you believe me or you don't. You either believe I can overcome this or you don't. There's no middle ground. There's just no middle ground. There's no gray area here. It's a very black and white thing. Either let God do what he said he was going to do or tell him he can't. Don't sit there and act like, well, you know, I don't know. No, I, I want you right now. Tell him he can't. I'm waiting. Because it's never with the Lord. It's always with us. The problem's always with us. Why are we not able to overcome? Well, you're not appropriating the things of God in your life. You're not appropriating the word of God in your life. You're not appropriating the Holy Spirit in your life. Not appropriating the blood in your life. There's a, he, I just told you that he gives us everything we need for life and godliness, that we can overcome everything by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. We can overcome the enemy. We can overcome, we can overcome our flesh. We can overcome sin. We can, we can overcome everything. <clears throat> but are you going to appropriate that word? Because then we say, well, God can't do that. Why don't you tell him he can't do that? That's, that's more accurate. The third thing is that the command of Jesus Christ remains the same to preach the gospel to every creature. <clears throat> that command has never been repealed or changed. Paul says, how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, not everyone has a ministry calling of an evangelist, but we are all called to evangelize. We're all called to share Christ. And I'm going to say this, you are not a missionary to the nations if you're not a missionary first to the ones around you. And I see it all the time. People say, oh, well, I'm called here. And I'm like, well, you're right here. So if you're not doing it here, you're not going to do it there. That's not how God works. God's not going to call you away if you're not going to do it right where you're at. 
Start, start doing it where you're at. But this is the problem is that most don't want to, most don't want to evangelize where they're at because they're too embarrassed of what other people think about them. Well, that person, that's the crazy Christian house. I'm not going to, don't talk to them on the block. Yeah. You might be an outcast. Well, you're in good company. All the apostles were outcast. The Lord was an outcast. I just read to you, he was rejected and despised by men. How many people can even articulate the gospel? And I remember um, Galia had shared this with her Bible study. I don't know, it was a couple years ago, whenever it was. She was in a Bible study and we talked about it. She was, um, yes, we talk about things in ministry. (laughs) We talk about you sometimes. Yes, we do. I want to know how people are doing. And she, she asked the lady, she said, can you, I, can you give me just a two-minute gospel presentation? Like, what, what, is, what is the gospel? What, you know, give me a two-minute gospel presentation. She said, you know, a lot of the ladies just couldn't, didn't know what it was or didn't know how to articulate it. And, then, and she said, you know, one lady said, I just sing over people. And I'm like, what? That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. <clears throat> the gospel cannot be summed up in one scripture. Right. It's not John 3, 16. No. Because John 3, 16, first of all, speaks nothing of repentance. Yeah. And almost all the rest of the chapter um, in John speaks of being born again of the Spirit of God. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just wrote something in a nutshell. This, this is probably maybe a minute. We are all born into sin and are enemies of God and therefore subject to the wrath of God. We cannot overcome our sinful nature on our own. We need a savior, otherwise our destiny is hell. Jesus came, he was fully man, he was fully God. He lived a sinless life and was a blameless, innocent lamb of God. He came to satisfy the wrath of God and took upon himself our sin, becoming a curse for us and therefore justifying the wrath of God on mankind. By his actions of obedience and through the shedding of his blood, we have been given a vessel to draw near to the Father and become a son and daughter of God. This way of salvation is for us to repent, turn from our sins in faith toward Jesus, confess him as Lord, and live a life of surrender and obedience to the word of God. We are then baptized in water by obedience and live a life daily dying to our flesh and living in accordance with the Holy Spirit. We seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit to help us overcome. We die to our flesh and live according to the direction of the Spirit of God. That's a minute, right? That's a minute. Because when we look at multiple scriptures, we can get a more clear and accurate picture of the gospel message. And when Paul, when all the disciples went out preaching the gospel, they didn't just say one verse and move on. They preached a message. They sat and talked with people and preached to them and taught them and expounded on the scriptures and told them things. Because true faith comes by hearing the true gospel. And preaching the gospel is more than a sentence or a smart cliche. Romans 10, 8 through 10 says, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
This word, um, actually, I did a daily on this. Um, I, I think it was last week or something, maybe two weeks ago. I don't remember. That word confess does not just mean say something out loud. <clears throat> think about this. How many TV, who watches TV or movies here? Everybody? Have you seen a movie? Have you, have you watched TV at some point? <laughs> have you ever seen a wedding on TV? What do they do in a wedding? They say vows. Or are those people married? Did they mean it? No. They said it out they said it out loud. But they weren't married. They didn't mean it. The word confess in the Greek is one word comprises compound word means homologos. It means to be in the same place and time as the word. That's what it means. So when you say, when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, that you're, you are being in the same place and time as the words coming out of your mouth. Your heart is lining up with exactly what you're saying. I believe Jesus is Lord. Yes. He is Lord of my life. I act like it. I live like it. I confess it. Homo logos. My words match up with my actions. Same word, same action, same place, same time. That's what confess means. And the earliest testimony of the church was Jesus is Lord. And when you look at scripture, he is called Lord over 600 times compared to just 25 as Savior. 25 times he's referred to our Savior. Over 600 times he's referred to as our Lord. That's a huge discrepancy there. And the word Lord means having power, authority, control, one who rules, one who is master to whom service is due, one who is an owner, the legal guardian of Jesus being Lord of your life is an important message to our salvation. Romans 14 says, for none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. John 3, 3 through 7, Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So now we hear have being born again into the gospel message. Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot be, you cannot enter God's kingdom, which is heaven, where he is Lord without being born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again of the Holy Spirit. That is a gospel message. Acts 2.38, Peter said, repent and every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is a gospel message. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. There's multiple scriptures. All of that is included in the gospel message. Our first mission then is our family. Our first mission field is our family. And and Pastor Matt and I have talked about this. If my kids go to hell, I have failed. 
Now, and I understand that when my kids grow up and they can go out and they can, they can go do their own thing. But I have, if I have not trained them in the way of righteousness, that's my fault. That is my first ministry. Parents, it's your job to teach them the word of God. Not a ministry organization, not the church, not your kid's Sunday school teacher, not sending them on a mission trip, hoping they'll just miraculously get saved. I know people that do that. It's you. You. Your next mission field is your neighbor's. How are you going overseas to share the gospel? You refuse to share the gospel with your neighbors. I, 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 it doesn't make sense. If you can't do it home, why are you going to go afar? Share the gospel with your classmates, your coworkers, the area where God has placed you. That's, that's, that's our mission field. Everybody has a field. It's where God's placed you. Young people, it's in your schools. It's on your job. It's in your grocery store. It's in your gym. I remember a few years ago, and some of you guys might remember this, um, Francis Chan, and, you know, <clears throat> he, he said he was leaving America and going overseas to preach the gospel, he said, because everybody here was catching the same fish. He said they were just fishing out of the same pond and catching the same fish. And I was really um, disappointed in him because his failure to recognize that those fish that everybody was catching were rotten. Because the American church is in bad, bad trouble. And, and of course we want to go where somebody receives us, but maybe you're called where... Nobody will receive you. You're called just to preach where nobody wants to hear. That was Jeremiah's calling. That was Ezekiel's calling. That was almost all the Old Testament's calling. To preach to rebellious people that won't hear. So Lord said, well, it was preached to you. You just didn't hear. People have been lulled into a state of complacency. They're lethargic. They're indifferent to the surrounding culture. Much of the American church is apostate. She has lost her holiness. She looks, acts, sounds like the world. And folks, if, any, if the Bible has taught me anything, if Revelation has taught me anything, that lukewarm people need to repent or they will be lost forever. We still have a mission filled even if they don't want to hear, even if they're rebellious, even if they think they know it all, even if they're lukewarm. The fourth thing, if the gospel is to be proclaimed everywhere, people must be willing to be sent. Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of him that preaches the gospel of peace. The feet means you're willing to go. So how beautiful is the feet that are willing, just willing to go and just, you have to have a desire you have to have a desire to see the lost saved. You have to have a desire to see people come back to Christ. To see lukewarm people repent. You have to get over yourself and how you appear to others. 
You have to be willing to look like a fool for Christ. You must be willing to be persecuted for his name and the word that you preach. And that's part of the problem. People don't want to be persecuted. They're comfortable. We're comfortable. And 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's interesting. He says all. There's another all. So, you know, I, I realize that we're not being beheaded here in America yet. <laughs> but it still says all. And do you know why you don't suffer persecution then? Because you're not living godly. You're conformed to the world instead of conformed to Christ. You look like the world, and guess what? The world loves its own. The Bible says that the world loves its own. You refuse to speak the truth in the face of a perverse world. Maybe your feet are stagnant. Isaiah spoke boldly. The apostles spoke boldly. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the world word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. And for me, those word, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Looks to me like they spoke boldly. Number five, the church in training and disciplining people for the ministry is performing a noble and glorious work. Part of the ministry of the church is coming together to be built up, taught, instructed, and corrected by the preacher so that we can go out and bring others to the faith. Paul tells the young, Tim, to the young minister Timothy, he says, preach the word, preach the word to the church, preach the word. If you preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. So preaching the word includes convincing, rebuking, exhorting, being long suffering, teaching for the time will come while they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. You know, it's funny that Pastor Matt was just talking about good doctrine on Sunday. And I don't think, I don't know that people realize this, but the great apostasy is a departure from doctrine. That's what it is. It's a departure from scriptural truth, from scriptural doctrine. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a departure from scriptural truths, from doctrinal truths. That's what the apostasy is a departure from. And when you depart from scripture, you depart from Christ. Ephesians 4 says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the church body then preaches the word to equip the saints for ministry. So we come here on Wednesday night so we can hear the word, so we can go out and do ministry to our fields. 
The last part, I would be neglectful for not saying this. God will withdraw his favor from those churches that are disobedient and rebellious. As he rejected the Jewish people, he will also forsake all who abuse his mercies, who become proud, rebellious, and wicked. In this respect, it becomes the church to remember that the that uh, God's works of old and not to forget that communal sin provokes God to withdraw and a church that forgets God must be punished. In Revelation 2, 4 through 5, it says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. We have a warning from scripture following what the Jews did of the Jews being rejected. We don't want to follow in the footsteps of the Jewish people. Amen. Amen. Angie, will you play? I just want to give you a, a, a chance to respond to the message tonight. If there's anything that ministered to you, pray on it. If there's anything you need to repent of, just repent. The Lord is so gracious to forgive. It says he is long-suffering and he's gracious towards us. And the Lord, all the Lord asks is that we would repent and humble ourselves. Let him have his way. If you need boldness, ask God for boldness. God will help you. He wants to help you. He wants to get his word out there. He wants to help you to be bold. You're going to have to take a step of faith, though. He will help you to be bold. I'm going to give you an opportunity that if you do not know the Lord Jesus, if you've never made him, Savior. Tonight is your night. The Holy Spirit is here. Do not let this opportunity pass you by. Hopefully, I spoke enough to give you an adequate gospel message. And if you can say, I have not been born again. I do not know him as my Lord. Will you just raise your hand pray with you. Repented. 
that we would be a light to this whole area, that we would be a light to our neighborhoods, that we would be a light to our city, we would be a light to even our state, Lord. We proclaim, God, that we will go where you want us to go and we will do what you want us to do, Lord. And we repent of complacency and apathy and comfort. Give us strength, Father God, to speak boldly in the mighty, magnificent, and wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. like to thank you so much for joining us today online. We want to encourage you to like our Facebook page, follow us on social media. If you're a regular watcher of Faith and Victory Online, would you please send us a message because we want to get to know you. We want to be connected with you. Make sure you like and share this video and we'll see you next week at Faith and Victory Church. We love you. Have a great day.